0: This is episode 71 with me, Brett Robbo, and Osher Ginsberg. G'day legends, and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches... Health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs, and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on your impactful journey. proud to share this episode with you where I'm actually interviewed on another podcast, the Osha Ginsberg podcast. Before I tell you anything else, I just need to mention that you might hear a little bit of background noise in this intro and that's because I'm recording outside on the deck uh, of the house that Marie and I are living in at the Gold Coast. So I'm overlooking the pool and the canal that we live on. And actually, right now, I'm watching a stingray swim around in the water, which is pretty cool. He often comes and floats around our boat ramp here. So, Marie and I are renting this place, and we're extremely grateful for this lifestyle. And it's winter here in a few days when I'm recording this, and I'm standing outside in my board shorts, and that's it. I love the weather up here. I love this lifestyle. Anyway... You might hear some birds tweeting or you might hear some boats going past and some people chatting when they're enjoying the canal life. So, Osher Ginsberg is a TV and radio host and has his own podcast, as I said, The Osher Ginsberg Show. He hosts the TV show called The Bachelor on Australian TV. Now, to be honest, I don't watch TV and I've never seen an episode of The Bachelor, but they have great ratings and reviews, so I'm sure it's smashing But I do love his podcast and I highly recommend you subscribe to it. Osher also used to host the Australian music TV show Channel V and many other shows on TV and radio, Uh, And back when his name was Andrew G, actually. Interesting story in itself. What intrigues me about Osher is his deep level of understanding of himself. He's had a very interesting personal journey that has led him down some spiritual paths, and a lot of deep work on himself, both from professional help and his own desire to discover more and more. (laughs) We're both human behavior junkies, and we've been sharing some material with each other since this interview to help enhance our knowledge in different areas, such as our experience with acceptance and commitment therapy, uh, other great podcast guests that we've learned an abundance from. And Osha is currently, at the time of the release of this podcast, in our mental strength training online program because he loves learning, growing, and developing as an all-round human. But I won't give you too much more on this legend because he will soon be a guest on this podcast. So it's pretty cool you can be exposed to him as a host first. He also chats a bit about himself and his journey in our intro of this episode that you're about to listen to, so it's not just me getting interviewed this whole time. In this episode, Osha and I talk about talent versus commitment, life as an elite athlete, transitions through different phases in our life, the deeper effect of gratitude, the power of mindset shifts, and so much more. Now, before we dive into this epic chat, I'm going to read a testimonial from Glenn, who completed, yes, completed, not just signed up and then didn't put in the effort, but he completed the Mental Strength Training Online program. Glenn was a very proactive participant and he wrote quite a long testimonial, which I'm extremely grateful for, but I'll just read part of it now. You can read all the full testimonials on the website. So Glenn says, as a father of three living in Sydney and the general manager for a large business with approximately 150 employees, I have a pretty busy schedule. The mental strength training helped me to clarify the difference between being a manager and a leader. As a manager, we have dozens of KPIs and measures that we need to achieve on a regular basis. However, as a leader, our role is to simply help our people become the best versions of themselves that we can. One outcome from me doing this training is that I've implemented personal measures around my direct reports holistic well-being into our business scorecard, areas of weight, mindfulness, sleep and acts of kindness are now discussed in our team not so much for their impact today but the benefits realized in 10, 20 or even 30 years time for my people oh Glenn, damn that makes me proud (laughs) so for everyone listening if you're wondering how will I benefit from the program the answer is and this is an answer for a lot of questions that people ask me and the answer is well it depends where are you in life? Do you have goals and visions or do you need help setting them? Do you suffer from anxiety and will benefit from the breathing training? Do you have unhelpful habits that are leading you in an unhelpful direction in life or keeping you stuck? Are you a leader or a manager or a parent of three like Glenn and simply value your personal and professional development? The best thing to do is jump online and check it out in more detail and then contact me and let's talk. Like real people. I can help create clarity around this being right for you or not. Seriously, even if you're living on the other side of the world, I've chatted to people on the other side of the world through Facebook Messenger phone chats or through WhatsApp calls. I'm happy to have that human interaction and that chat with you to help you create some clarity. So jump on to yourlifeofimpact.com forward slash coaching. Okay. Now let's hear from Osher Ginsburg and me, Brett Robbo. If you're in a state of resentment, you can't be in a state of gratitude. Yes, you can do it one after the other, but you can't be, if you're in a state of resentment, you're not grateful at that time. If you're grateful, you can't be in a state of resentment, and that's the power
1: of gratitude. That is Coach Brett Robinson, also known as Robbo, and this is Episode 230 of the Osher Ginsburg Podcast. And welcome to the Oshie Ginsberg podcast. I'm Oshie Ginsberg. This is episode 230 of the show with Brett Robbo, also known as Brett Robinson, coach of the Australian Paralympic team, and host of the excellent podcast Your Life of Impact. You can just search for his podcast in the same place you found this one, or you can find out more about his work, Your Life of Impact. Dot com is where you can look for the stuff that Robo's doing more about Robo in a moment. If you're new welcome to the show I'm Washer Ginsburg. Hi uh, if you've never met me before what can I tell you about myself? I love my family. I eat only plants I ride bicycles I count roses on the telly. I have a different brain. That about about covers it. Um, Each week here on this podcast, I have an authentic conversation that you get to be a part of, and it's with someone you may know or someone you may not know. But each week, I guarantee that you'll hear something that you needed to hear, something that'll help you live today just a little bit better than yesterday, because that is all I'm trying to do. And I'm trying to, I guess, spread that idea of, look, if we just make today better than yesterday, then, you know, we'll all move forward together and things will be all right. To check in with you, to check in with you. Um, it's been a tough week. My triggers uh, were well fired up by hot summer's days in the middle of autumn. Uh, for someone, me, uh, I uh, slipped into psychosis a few years back, uh, ended up having paranoid delusions off of... Uh, you know, the delusions that the full effects of rising sea levels and societal disarray caused by climate change were happening today, and it was really, really scary, and it lasted for months, and I don't recommend it. Um, but, you know, 35-degree days when it's supposed to be around 22 degrees at this time of year, it's, that's tough to get through. You know, there's tough to get through. I can get through them. I'm not crippled with inescapable rumination that's coupled with repetitive physical agony that doesn't allow me to talk to people anymore. That used to happen. Um, I can leave the house now, and I'm generally not so strange to be around, but it's still tough days you know, I'm still working on it all. Uh, it's hard. Um, but thankfully, the work I'm doing every morning, it's, still, it's really helping. Um, I talk about this all the time, at least 20 minutes of writing every morning when I wake up just to clear the mess out of my head, writing, I guess, rational challenges down on the page and also writing down the things that I'm authentically grateful for. That, uh, coupling that with uh, an hour or so in the gym and now that i have a workstation set up over my bike trainer i i can write while i while i ride so i try to get at least an hour on the bike every day and that's really 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 helping and even with these last few days that have been tough i can i can honestly tell you that the disciplined approach that i've been having since i stopped taking meds under supervision since i stopped taking meds in december the disciplined approach that i've been having uh, with regards to my physical activity, with regards to my food intake, um, and the the mental exercise, the therapy, the writing, all the other work, it's, it is having an effect. I can honestly tell you that even with the difficult days, i I still feel I feel more resilient than I did before. It might only be one percent more resilient, might be two, but I do notice that the scales are tipping. It's work. It's it's all work, but that's okay. Because if there's one thing I know, it's just, it's just in the, in being in the process of progress. That's what makes me feel better. Cause if you're not moving away from a difficult situation, you're going to stay stuck in that difficult situation. You've got to make a move. Otherwise you're trapped. So it is with gratitude that I set my alarm early and it's with gratitude that I get up and I do that writing because it's just a small part of my day, but it is really working. It's it's a little bit at a time, but it is working. There's no massive profound changes, but that's okay. It's just slowly, slowly, bit by bit, a day at a time, unlike, not unlike other things in my life. (laughs) It does also help that I'm letting out a lot of that nervous and fearful energy. I'm letting that out of my body um, my mother in law uh, came to stay with us the other night. She's lovely. I love having her around. I love her very much. And it was lovely to have her here because um, it's lovely to be around her. She's beautiful energy, but also uh, she's a retired clinical dietitian uh, who's also an exceptional cook. And she made a beautiful curry. Uh, she's Fijian, Audrey's mum. She made a beautiful curry and she made wholemeal flour and chia seed roti. And oh my God, it was delicious. Um, But she hasn't seen me in a couple of weeks. Uh, She hasn't seen me since I've kind of been doing the extra riding of the bicycle, like kind of just throwing that extra bit of physical activity in there. And she remarked to Audrey that my energy has changed. And that is a really important progress marker for me because the changes that do happen in me are, are subtle uh, it's sometimes difficult for, to notice them day to day, that, me or Audrey. Um, but when someone who loves you and hasn't seen you in a little while notices a change, that's a really great thing. Um, I remember uh, about four years ago, after the first season of Bachelor, I was um, visiting a friend at Lennox Head. Um, they had lived in a small house, so I camped in a tent in their front yard. They had a big property. Uh, so when I say yard, it was acres. But um, I've been living in LA for a while, and I'd, I'd gone through some shit—that's for sure. But I hadn't seen him in about a year, and um, we were having a good chat. And he said, "Mate, you're actually just—you're actually easy to be around at the moment." He said t- he said that when I used to go and visit him when we both lived in Bondi. Um, after I left, he'd, some- he'd sometimes need to go for a run or something just to kind of wash off the energy that I'd left him with, because I was just kind of jumpy and hard to be around. Not long after that, not long after he told me that I was doing well, I did slip off the edge of the world in a psychosis. Um, but at that moment, I was doing okay. But it does remind me that I can't take how I feel today for granted. This is the brain I've got. And I'm starting to discover the level of work that I get to do in order for me to function and for me to be okay for other people to be around me. And that's 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 what I've got. That's what I get to do. Um, I, I use this analogy a fair bit. Um I, I try to look at it uh, like someone who might be a, a born diabetic, all right? There's a level of work and deliberate attention to their life and to their diet that they need to do in order to manage the body that they've got given. And, and you know, it's similar to me, like this is what i got. This is what I get to do. And I've, I've found as long as I'm open and I'm honest about what's happening and the other people around me uh, see me doing the thing that is managing what I've got, everyone's much more cool about it. Um, I walked into work yesterday and my wardrobe master, Mel, she said, are you all right? And I said, oh, not really. I told her why. I am um, not. I wasn't moping about it. I just said, you know, this is what's going on. This is, you know, I'm dealing with a trigger today. This, this is what I'm doing to deal with it. Um, and we, we had a great day at work. We had a great day at work together. So that's it, I guess. That's what's happening. Um, I, I don't think I can be any more honest with you. That's exactly what's going on in my world today. Um, but this is what I have. This is the work I get to do and the direction I'm going in because of that work is a better place than where I was yesterday. And I'm really lucky that that is happening. I really am. Speaking of which, I do search for information and I do search for inspiration around this area as a matter of habit just to remind myself that I'm not alone in trying to live intentionally in a direction of focus, and that's how I happened across the excellent podcast of the coach that I'm talking to today. Brett Robinson, or Robbo to his athletes and his clients, is a high-performance coach who worked for years with the Australian Paralympic team and at the New South Wales Institute of Sport. He's since branched out into the wider community, hoping to bring his concepts and ideas that he learned and developed over the course of his incredibly successful career with elite athletes, and to share those lessons with the wider community. He has an excellent podcast, which I highly recommend. It's called Your Life of Impact, uh, which you can find wherever great podcasts are heard. Brett's story does take some darker turns, but it's okay. I promise he's okay, and he's found his way to okay in a way that will inspire us all to live a life with more intentionality than before. I'm really grateful that he and I got the chance to chat. And I'm also really grateful to former podcast guest, Rachel Nalon, who uh, actually made the introduction between him and I. So enjoy this, this conversation, this, I guess this, if you've never heard him before, uh, this introduction to the inspirational world of Brett Robbo. Hey Robbo, how are you, mate? Brilliant, thank you. Good to see you, man.
0: Yeah, you too. Nice to uh, meet you and put a face yeah. to the name. <laughs> yeah, it's good, buddy. <laughs> Where do we find you today? I'm on the Gold Coast at Broadbeach. I tell you what, I look out the view and the beach is right there.
1: I love it. Now I've, I'm grateful you came on the show, man, because I'm a you know a big I'm a big fan of your podcast, and I'm I'm just really excited to you know share what you're doing with the people that listen to this show because what you're you're doing in the space of trying to I don't know trying to help people have a better day than yesterday is uh is something that you know I think we could do we could do a bit more of you know man, and so I'm, I'm grateful you could be here today, Robert. But what would it be? I know you're in a bit of a, a transitional phase at the moment because you just moved states. What would it be that you say? that you do brett i'm a performance coach
0: a performance coach yeah so working helping people with their physical and mental health
1: so in the uh in the realm of people that only know the coach is the bloke that mumbles at a press conference after a football game um this is something that you know people may not realize that this is what coaching can also look like i guess
0: yeah absolutely so coaching to me is teaching And teaching whatever skill sets, the person, the people, the organization, the team, the athlete, the mother, whoever it is, whatever they require. So one thing I've learned from being in high performance sport is there's no linear approach. You can't just train strength to be a faster runner. You can't just train speed. You can't, if you want to be better at anything, you need to be better holistically, I believe. Uh, At least there's certain, a lot of different elements that you need to tap into. So coaching for me isn't just about, if someone comes to me and says, I want to be uh, better in this area. And I would like, sweet, we'll work on that area, but we're also going to make sure that we work on the other key areas of life so you're living
1: congruently. So, you mentioned, just to paint a bit of a picture for people who are listening to us overseas, you mentioned a bit of a picture about where your parents live. Is that where you grew up? Uh,
0: Cobar, yes, is where I grew up in far western New South Wales. And it is a small country town, a mining community and cobar and aboriginal actually means burnt earth so that's why it's a mining area and it's not there's not much agriculture that goes on out there it's uh, 300 kilometers from the nearest uh, quote unquote city which is dubbo which is about 30,000 people so that was our nearest mcdonald's and our nearest cinemas when we were growing up and i haven't lived there since i was 17 but i still i still love cobar because of the community aspect of it and growing up out there you were two minutes push bike ride to your best friends, your grandparents, your cousins. And everyone was supportive because if you were a young athlete like I was, even the local beer drinkers club would raise money to send you away to competitions or fundraisers. And I see these days too since I've left, there's a lot of charity support and the community really gets together when there's – especially when there's challenging times. But I see there's a lot of good little pockets of positive aspects of the community. So community is a big part of my –
1: uh, soul because of that. Growing up out in Cobar, and what uh, what you mentioned, you are a young athlete. What was your uh, what was your weapon of choice? What was your main uh, your main event? I was a sprinter.
0: And also a footballer, so I played a lot of rugby league and uh, was offered a few contracts in, a, in the junior leagues, in, in the NRL and also uh, time at the Australian Institute of Sport and I sort of gave away football at the, age, the ripe old age of 17 and followed the pursuit of track and field and went to the AIS for a few years there as a sprinter. And my theory there was that if I played football and wanted to go back to sprinting, I'd probably bulk up a lot and there'd be a lot more injuries, so it'd be a harder transition. But then if I went to sprinting and wanted to come back to football, then it would be all I would need to do is bulk up. I'd probably have less injuries and still have the speed there. So that was in my mind. But then after a few years at the Institute of Sport and loving that aspect of life, I was uh, also studying my advanced diploma in soft tissue therapy. And that gave me the credentials to be traveling as a sports massage therapist and injury management and injury rehab and things like that. So once I started traveling with teams and being on that side of the fence, I just got a love for it. And I, quote unquote, took a break from athletics and just never got back into it as an athlete.
1: Uh, can you tell me, tell me a little bit about what it was like to be 17 years old? Cause not everyone's going to get a gig at the Institute of Sport, but everyone listening or certainly people listening have had that moment at the end of their teens or might yet be facing that moment at the end of their teens where they see their friends going in one direction, but they can see, ooh, there's this solo adventure ahead of me. Uh, if I, if I go this, this way, can you tell, take us through that, what that was like? It's funny to think back then because I guess it was an
0: easy decision based on that I had a dream and a goal, uh, that I wanted to represent Australia. And I was, my goal was for Commonwealth Games. I wasn't sure whether I was good enough growing up out in the country. You know, you'd race against the, the kids in the city, you know, a few times a year and it's a 900 kilometer drive or to, from Cobar to Sydney to do those competitions. So it was, uh, didn't grow up that much but then to get that opportunity it just seemed like well this is the obvious choice this is what I'm going to do because my goal is to represent Australia at a Commonwealth Games so I'm not going to do that from Cobar and this is the one of the best places in the country if not in the world to try and achieve that goal so growing up in the country also talking about that individual path and options my friends a lot of them were working in the mines a few of them went off to study so we're all sort of going our different directions anyway I was for as long as I can remember, I was always doing sport. So to go in the direction of sport, where the opportunity was, it just seemed like a very
1: easy and and the right path to do. And certainly in a community where your life path is fairly obvious. No, it's pretty. You go to school, you get a job in the mine, you work, you retire, you die. Like that's you know the path is there for generations prior. Was it? Were you the were you the odd one out? <laughs> Have you seen the
0: movie Zoolander? Yeah. And you see where he went Ben Stiller went and worked back in the mines for a little bit. His dad was a miner, his brother was a miner, yeah, and there was something wrong with his acting career at the time, and they were sitting at the the bar and having a drink after all covered in coal and On the TV screen, there was an ad of Ben Stiller, and he was a mermaid in that in that TV commercial, and you could see that it was really the odd one out. His dad and his brother, the miners sitting there drinking beer and that was in their blood to do that. Funny you asked me about that, if I was being the odd one out. And the reason I bring that up is because when I did move to Canberra, I started to get into a few TV commercials and thinking that I wanted to do a bit of that and a bit of the acting side of things. Oh, yeah. And for a while in my mind, I was thinking – geez, I'm Ben Stiller in that movie. Here's dad and my brother (laughs) working in the mines. My mate are miners and here I am going down this path. (laughs) So in that regard, I guess I'm like the merman when Ben Stiller did that. But in regards to not working in the mines, it it is one of those places where – Growing up there, you either – you can take that route and you can get a trade or you can work in the mines and, you know, people make a really good living from it and I've got mates that still live out in Cobar and they've got their family there and they love it and they love the bush life and I really respect that. What I don't respect is when people – feel like they're stuck and they get in that rut and they bag out Cobar or the the country communities or the mining industry, but you know, everything is a choice and that's the choice that they make. So I guess I was the odd one out because I went and did Elite Sport, but not necessarily because I was doing something different. And I didn't do any mermaid ads.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I believe there was a retrovision ad there somewhere.
0: Well, you've done your homework. You've done well to come across that. You know that was uh, on VHS, so that's how old ago the the uh, retrovision ad was.
1: <laughs> well. Uh, take take me through what's it like, like the Australian Institute of Sport Like you're know, you hearing about it a lot here because they're currently in the Commonwealth Games are on but it's this for me it's this kind of this nebulous shed you know far away and people go there and they come out with medals uh, what's you know what, what's, it, what's it like what goes on there what makes it so special it, it's
0: actually changing a lot now but the thing about the the AOS when it's utilised properly is the collaboration of all the coaches and the support staff. So when you've got each division working towards making the athlete the best version of themselves and it can get a little bit disjointed but when it's worked properly, it's a well-oiled machine so when the coach can bounce off the biomechanists, the physiotherapists, the skill acquisition people utilize all the facilities to their and the strength and conditioning people utilize all the facilities that are around. So it's it is an amazing well oiled machine in that regard. But it's, uh, there's a lot that's changed. And in 2012, when I was still there coaching, it started to take a big transition and they've sort of spread the programs out a lot over the country. Uh, the model worked really well when it was established years and years ago. And in terms of working in there and being an athlete within there, it's a pretty special kind of feeling when you're in amongst that and, and understand that there is so much support around. Uh, but to be honest, it's kind of that, that segmented aspects of it that that drove me out of coaching full-time in high-performance sport because I was an athlete when I was younger. I became a therapist, as I said, working with athletes, and then I became a full-time coach. So I'd worn all f- the, the few hats and seen when – I, when I was a therapist, I saw that there was a bit of a disconnect between the athletes that I was treating because you would just see them behind closed doors in a clinic – Environment, not out on the track and then when I was a coach I realized that that was even more evident that big gap that needed to be bridged because I see the athletes all the time and so then I would treat them all the time in a model that we call performance therapy and see that that, is that, that real connection that needs to be made instead of the athlete trains goes to a physio or a therapist behind closed doors they don't see them get out of the car they don't see them warm up they don't see them move all the time so there was that, that bit of a disconnection there
1: Right. When you had that moment, and we've all had that moment, I think, in our, in our career. Well, we're lucky if we've had that moment in our career. We go, oh, hang on, that thing that I thought I wanted, I don't want that. I want this. Um, that was happening when you were out on tour uh, on the road with uh, working as a soft tissue therapist for teams?
0: Yeah, that's actually happened to me a couple of times. So yeah. when, like I said, when I was an athlete and then I got the opportunity, I traveled as, uh, to the Paralympic World Championships in uh, 2006 and, yeah, got that taste and said, yeah, actually, this is what I want to do. And I started working high performance in that regard. And then full-time coach working at the Australian Institute of Sport and in Sydney and absolutely extremely passionate about my job and I was coaching Paralympic athletes and, you know, won para coach of the year and coached uh, Paralympic gold medalists and world record holders, absolutely loved it and then realized that actually having this job as much as I love it and as passionate as I am, it's actually – I feel like it's limiting my full potential, and I'm not able to operate in this holistic perspective. And I actually want to work not just with elite athletes. I want to work with the general public. I want to work with corporate. I want to work with organisations. I want to coach and teach people, not just athletes. And And that's when I made the decision. Well, in actual fact, there's a because of major adversity that happened in my life about three, almost three and a half years ago. It really changed the trajectory of my my mindset and my my view on my life and of the world really. So I mentioned before that I grew up in Cobar in a small community and my grandparents who were two of the most influential and inspirational humans in my life and you know, they, they were young grandparents and they we used to train together and travel together and even party a bit together. And My grandfather was my first athletics coach. We used to travel the countryside together. And when we would drive thousands and thousands of kilometers, it wasn't just my grandfather sitting beside me. It was my idol. I, you know, I respected him so much in every aspect and he was healthy. And he and my grandmother, they taught me what love and respect is because – they were happily married for 53 years, and I saw them. They're always cuddling and kissing and smiling and whispering sweet nothings into each other's ears in the way that it was genuine. That's what we saw. That's what what the way that they were. And they were great business people. They taught me a lot about entrepreneurship, and I had a lot of respect for them in every aspect. And like I said, they were big community members, and unfortunately almost three and a half years ago now that they were murdered in their own home back in Cobar. And as you could imagine that that, to me personally, it just tore me apart emotionally and, and it put a big hole in the community. There was around 2000 people or I think two and a half thousand people at the funeral. That's half the size of Cobar. Our family was just shattered and distraught and, for me personally, I, I experienced heart wrenching sadness that I didn't even know could exist, and it took me out of away from who I was as a person and into this whole new light that I didn't actually like and I couldn't control it. And I was lucky that I uh, was working at the AIS and had, and I was working with the Sydney Swans at the time too as a performance therapist. And you know, these. Places reached out to say, if you want support, you know the psychologists are here, suggest you talk to people. And I did that at the AIS, and I had a really good rapport with one of the psychologists there, Kate, because of the work she'd done with my athletes. And so I reached out to her and started working with her. And in the first session, oh sure, I can remember it as clear as day. I'm just picturing myself back in that room. And, and she knew all the information before I went in there, and I disclosed it a little bit more. And, and she said to me, Robo, it sounds like part of your life has ended. And I said, well, it kind of feels like that. It definitely feels like that. And then we spoke about it a little bit more, and I said how I'd never lost anyone close to me before. And then she said, you know, Robo, you're going to become more of a whole person after going through this experience. And I just, I had my head down, and I thought about what she said, thought about it for a minute, and then I looked up, And I looked at her and I smiled and wiped the tears away and I said, Kate, that is the best thing that you could have ever said to me (laughs) because every single day all I want to do is become a better version of myself so I can help others around me become a better version of themselves. So if I have to think about this toughest, shittest situation in my life in that way, if that's going to help me move forward and I can help others because of this, and that's exactly how I'm going to look at it. And from that time, this goes back to answer your question, Osha, that 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 started to really change my mindset around, well, hang on, I guess I am becoming a whole per- more of a whole person. I'm experiencing not just a physical thing that happened around me my external environment. My whole internal environment has shifted And and through the process and the work that she was doing with me it got to a point where after a few sessions and i started to get my optimism back and loving life and i could actually be not just physically present at my coaching sessions and with my gorgeous fiance i was actually i was there again and i started to be myself again and start to think broader and and a way i I'd actually called her one day and i said kate I've just realized that whatever you're doing with me, there's obviously a name to this. What's this technique that you're using? It's powerful. I love it. And she laughed and she said, yeah, I think you're ready. It's called Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. And we spoke about it for a while and I said, I want to know as much as I can about it. Who, what is this and where do I start? And she said, look, start with Dr. Russ Harris. The book's called The Happiness Trap. And go from there. And that just took me down a rabbit hole that I can honestly say has completely changed the way that I uh, look at life and the way that I coach and teach people as well because that acceptance and commitment therapy model has changed my life, my experiences internally and reshaped the way that I actually want to live life and experience and teach. And once again, back to your question that that's why I'm extremely proud and you mentioned the podcast there before and that's why the podcast grew because I thought, how can I provide an abundance of value to people in, and beyond just uh, – my podcast isn't about sport. I get elite athletes on there and we barely talk about this sport. We talk about vulnerabilities. We talk about adversities. It's all about human behavior but my my deeper drive behind it is to help create value and impact because one of the things – one of my daily mantras, and I know that you're a big person on uh, meditation and uh, morning routines, and and one of my daily mantras for a couple of years that, that comes into my morning routine at the end of my, I call it priming, and it's a, a series of meditation and uh, affirmations and and connectedness. And, and one of the affirmations is around uh, my enhancing and optimizing my grandparents' legacy and I live for that every single day and a big part of that like I said they were huge contributors to the Kobar community so I'm with the podcast it's about me connecting and creating a community but then nourishing it and the podcast is an amazing platform and you know that you connect with unbelievable humans that just bring so much value into the lives of people all around the world
1: mate that is a you know I mean we've all everybody listening everyone's lost someone you know, everybody's, you know, and if they, if they haven't, they will. You know, that's just what humans are. Um, but to lose someone so close to you, to lose people so close to you in such a, a violent way and yet to be able to then take that energy, that extreme explosion of negative energy in your life and and reform it and redirect it, that is, you're very fortunate, man. A lot of people don't come back from something like that.
0: Yeah, I... I know and I see I – th- I think that's also what drives me to continue what I'm doing not just around the podcast but around the mental strength training that I do with people because I see people that uh, experience mental illness and uh, they experience low levels of optimism and they, it's often because they don't have the, the knowledge and the know-how and the habits, the tools, the strategies how to actually help them shift out of those states – some people choose, even though they have the knowledge, they choose not to go and do anything with that knowledge, but some people don't have the knowledge. And so I actually feel I'm extremely proud to be able to piece together not just a life experience in that regard, but also all the studies now that I've done around acceptance and commitment therapy, uh, around the the breathing training around all the mindset coaching and studies and everything that I've done to really help people shift away from that because it's – it's I don't know what the word is. I can't say sad or disappointing but I guess it's reality and to be able – the day and age that we live in now to be able to take that to people online, uh, in person – whatever it is, I feel extremely proud and also it, it drives me as part of my purpose to help people shift out of those states.
1: The work you've done, obviously you've done a lot of work with para-athletes who have had their own share of adversity. Some of these people that you work with were were, were born with what's going on. Some of them have dealt with incredibly traumatic events and um, and used sport as a way to kind of you know be around that. What What have you learned about not only through your own experience of adversity but you know working with working so closely with such successful athletes who have had to again adapt and overcome the adversity that they've had thrust upon them.
0: Yeah I think that that's probably a reason why that helped me get through too because I have been surrounded by people that have experienced massive adversities in their life. Like you said some some of the athletes that I've worked with, have were born with disabilities so they didn't suffer the big adversity of a traumatic incident but they suffer a lot of adversity around bullying at school or challenges in society and you see them just push all that aside and focus on the things that they can control and they have their goals and their visions and their dreams and they just go for it. And I tell you one of the biggest things that I've learned around that is that the the people who stay stuck in that victim mentality and the athletes that bring in that poor me aspect to it and and I don't mean to judge people here I'm I'm you know suspending judgment and putting it aside here but what I'm saying is that the people who do have that element of that victim mentality and that poor me they they expect as opposed to appreciate and that they they won't they won't push the boundaries as much because it takes them into an energetic condition that doesn't serve them and take them in the right direction. So the ones that accept that this is life, yes, it sucks, it's it's changed things, but they accept it and then they commit to taking the action required in line with their goals and visions. So they establish what it is that they want, what they can do, what they can control, and they move in that direction. And I see that that's a huge thing that I've learned. So the ones that I see that come through and are successful after major adversity, they are the ones, the Paralympic athletes, they are the ones that have not allowed that victim title and that poor me mentality to stay with them. And that's what I see now about working with people who – uh, so able-bodied people who are not trying to be athletes, but those who suffer adversity and trying to allow them to understand that that victim mentality actually doesn't serve us. But on that, I just want to say that there's always a grieving period. So whether you have a major accident, some of the athletes that I've worked with have had major car accidents and become quadriplegic or paraplegic. Some of them young Scotty Reardon lost his leg on a farming accident where it was pulled into the back of a tractor and chopped it off and he almost lost his life. There's athletes like this that have traumatic experiences and they will grieve and we all need to grieve and families will grieve, but everybody's grieving experience is different. and Also, that grieving experience is important, but we can't continually be in that grieving period because that that's the stuck that's the mentality that's the energetic conditions that don't actually serve us
1: how can we perhaps what's a little checklist of questions to check if we're being I mean there is you know it's a blink of an eye between fear and love it's a blink of an eye between victim and victor um, how how can we maybe you know check to see am I being a victim about this like what are some things that we can uh, we can check on on ourselves to see if we can identify if we're trapping ourselves.
0: The, the, what you just said then is a great starting point is to actually ask that question. And a lot of people wouldn't actually ask that question. But uh, what, the way that I help work with people and for everyone listening is to understand what emotions you're experiencing and how they're serving you. So if you're experiencing heart-wrenching sadness, anger, resentment, any of those conditions, we're all humans and we're going to experience them. And in these grieving periods, you will experience them more and more. And But as we move forward in time and the grieving period should be subsiding, if you're continually spending a lot of time in those emotions, in those emotional states and those energetic conditions, we need to understand that, well... What they actually do to us at a physiological level, in terms of hormones and stress and cortisol, as well as uh, you know not allowing clarity and not allowing us to take action. So, in answer to your question, is are these emotions and these energetic states that I'm in are they actually helping me be the best version of myself? Are they actually helping the people around me?
1: Yeah, and then there's also, I guess, you know the idea of say certainly when you're holding resentments and you're you know, I always, because I've had someone, I'm someone who's had to deal with realising that I've been a massive victim and also realising that I've been carrying bog loads of resentment around me. That was certainly in my sobriety journey. And understanding that those events that I've been a victim about, sure, that person might have been an arsehole to me, sure. But for 10 years, I've allowed that person's energy to remain powerful over me. I'm the one that chose it, you know, and I choose that every time I react this way. This person's probably forgotten about me, you know, but I'm carrying their energy. I'm allowing them to win every day. And, you know, it's also it was also a big case of looking inside myself and going, Why does this serve me? Why do I want to do this? Oh, so I can say, well, I'm behaving this way because, blur. You know, it's like an excuse to behave almost resentment. Um, But the only person resentment really hurts is the person that's carrying it, in my experience. (laughs) Well, and also that, yeah, you're exactly right. So there's a couple of things there that
0: I want to go back to. And one of them is choice, you said. So everything is choice. When I started doing some uh, NLP coaching and the, and the coach said to me, you know, everything in your life is a choice. And I thought, no, I don't, I don't agree with that. That doesn't sit with me. But then the more I unpacked it and the more work I've done over the years, I understand that it is because – so it wasn't my choice what happened to my grandparents, but it's my choice of how I – React or respond to what I do after that situation. And it's the same with anything that happens in our external environment. So anything that we see, anything that happens around us, it's our choice how we respond to that situation or react. And, you know, there's a big difference between response and react. But that that's where it comes into it and it is our choice. And you said earlier that some people do get stuck after a major adversity and it was my choice whether I allowed myself to get stuck or my choice whether I did the work to move forward. And like you said, you understand that it's your choice. So our choice becomes our perception and mm. through our filtering systems is how we create our perception in our mind. And I love talking about all that sort of stuff. I, I could talk about it all day. But the other thing I want to go back to is you, you talked about resentment And if you think about, if you're in a state of resentment, you can't be in a state of gratitude.
1: True.
0: Yes, you can do it one after the other, but you can't be one... If you're in a state of resentment, you're not grateful at that time. If you're grateful, you can't be in a state of resentment. And that's the power of gratitude. And I know you love gratitude. And I actually want to apologize because when you talked earlier and said you're grateful to have me on the show, I didn't realize we were recording because (laughs) (laughs) otherwise I would have gone down the gratitude path there because I always start my day, I start my chats, I start everything around saying how grateful I am. And it's for that reason because... There's a lot of science behind the power of gratitude and it changes your physiological state and it also prevents you from being on that negative or that unhelpful side of the the quadrant that I work with and it doesn't allow your cortisol levels to spike. When you're in a state of gratitude, your hormonal balance is incoherence. So expressing gratitude, people might think, oh, it's a load of crap, but actually not just expressing it but feeling it and being grateful, that
1: is where the real power is in that. So even just writing, like, and I do it every morning. I sit out on the balcony, I listen to the birds and the, the magpies wobble, and I write down just 10 things uh, that, I'm, that I'm grateful for every day and I really honestly honestly feel it. And, Robert, it can be something as simple as, you know what, this morning when I made my you know, cereal, I went to a refrigerator. There's people in this world that don't have refrigeration, and I'm grateful for that. That is amazing, you know, and try and really, really feel it. Are you telling me that when I am just having that moment in my brain, my body is changing, my physiology physiology is responding in a positive way? Absolutely. That's exactly what I'm
0: telling you. And that's the difference between relaxation and coherence. So when we talk about being coherent, we're talking about... Uh, Everything working together in alignment and the the quote-unquote balance being more in alignment. So, yes, when you are actually not just saying grateful things but you're feeling it and you're being grateful, then you are changing your internal physiological self. And you think about the more time you spend in that zone, and your hormonal balance so we all know that cortisol serves a purpose but only for a short period of time Mm -hmm. and when you're highly stressed and your cortisol levels are up and it shunts a lot of other things that go on in your body it's it's really detrimental you know causes a lot of illness and then long-term disease all that kind of stuff so when we're in the states of resentment and anger and uh, all those unhelpful emotions and energetic conditions for long periods of time that's what leads to those illnesses and everything so when we Can actually shift that and be the opposite to that, so to say, the opposite. So, when we're grateful, when we're in those grateful states, you are actually serving yourself at a deeper
1: level than you actually know. Interesting. You know, to that. Something as simple as just taking a moment and just really feeling gratitude for the person that lets you in in traffic can save you, hopefully, from some kind of disease in 15 years.
0: Yeah, it might sound like a bit of a joke because that's the Western society that we grow up with, but when you look at it from a, like, you look at Buddhist perspectives and you look at the science behind all of that now and you realize, huh, actually, that's exactly what we're doing to ourselves when we are highly strung, when we're reactive and, you know, you said before. That you uh, react, you're used to react to different things, and it was your choice. And mm. I always, always like people to understand the difference between reacting and responding. So, yeah. when we see something in our external environment, or we experience something, we and we can either react to it or respond to it. When we react, it means that we're just going with that first emotion that pops up within us. So it might be anger, it might be sadness, it might be happiness, whatever it might be, it's a reaction. When we respond that external situation has happened. We've allowed it to go through our filtering systems in our mind, and then we've weighed it up and created a perception on it, and then we respond. So we might still respond with anger, or that anger that's risen, we haven't actually reacted to it externally. It's risen within us, but we think that's a, an emotion that doesn't serve us. This is not going to end well. Actually, you know, I was just about to have an outburst but really that's not that bad, whatever that situation might be and you hold that and you suppress that and that can change things completely it took me a minute to explain that but when you get really good at it it's a skill that happens so fast so you become respondent as opposed to reactive and you balance out those the hormonal, what's going on inside your mind as well in terms of endorphins and uh, all the the great neurochemistry balances that go on in there as well as your hormones. So just by letting yourself go through that filtering process and responding, and it might even be, you know, there's a couple of really powerful tools, but it might even be that just thinking of something you're grateful for instead of reacting in an angry way to something that actually doesn't really matter. But the power of breath is the most powerful and important aspect that we can all do.
1: Yeah, I was I was going to ask cuz like when I'm in a moment, Robo, like my amygdala is not going to wait for me to think of a good response. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, unfortunately, like I, you know, it happens very very quickly. How do we slow that down? Yeah, exactly, and that's what I mean. It becomes a skill that
0: that happens. So instead of you trying or instead of us trying to think, what am I going to do now so I don't react to this anger that's arisen? And Because like you said, you, your mind just often in the moment doesn't work like that. So what you train yourself to do, the, the best tool in the moment is to breathe. And it might seem simple and people say, oh, yeah, whatever. But when you actually do an even rhythmic breath, In that moment, and it might be four seconds in, four seconds out. What you've actually done there, if you can do a couple of them, that's great, but it might only be one that you can do. What you've actually done there is you've brought yourself into the moment. So you're not creating anxiety about what might happen here. You're not pissed off about what they just said in the past. You're just in the moment. So you're not even grateful you're not but you're also not resentful you might not be happy or angry you're in the moment and you're taking that breath in the moment and as soon as that breath is finished you have the choice which way you're going to go are you going to respond sorry react with that anger or are you going to respond in a different way so just remembering that to take that deep even rhythmic breath one, it helps to start to create that coherence, and two, it gives you time and brings you into the moment to be able to respond and make a choice.
1: It's really, really interesting the the physiological tricks that we can trigger ourselves, either the words writing a gratitude list or the simple act of just taking a, a, a deep, even you know, rhythmic diaphragmatic breath. How that can unleash certain things within our bodies that will. You know, help us on a on a on a deeper level react or respond, I should say, <laughs> in, in a different way. But they, but they're, they're, they're two things that are I don't know, pretty much free to do. You know, you don't have to go to a chemist to go and get a list of ten things. You don't have to go to the doctor to get a breath. You know, but that they have well, the we'll
0: power. Breathe, but who's yeah. ever been taught how to breathe properly or efficiently?
1: It's no. a rarity.
0: But the the fact is that it's one of the, like you said, it's free, but it's one of the best tools. We all have it. We all take it with us everywhere we go. So the more yeah. that you can optimize it and utilize it, and when you know that you can link that to your physical health, your mental health, your emotional health, every aspect, then you start to nourish some really key areas of your life just from breathing, and that's why you know, do a lot of breath work with people and I have some mentors that I spend some time with to learn as much as I can around that because, and I use it as part of my coaching and my teaching because it is such a powerful and uh, it's such a powerful element that everyone can take with them.
1: Can we, can we talk a little bit about that? I mean, I, I'm one of my favorite turns of phrase when people ask me about my docs and everything, I just say it's like every, every great player has a coach, every champion has a coach. How do you go about assembling your team? Who do you look for?
0: For me personally?
1: Yeah.
0: Interesting because I have worked with, so obviously Kate was a big part of my uh, my journey after my experience in that adversity and then part of my team is I work with a functional medicine and functional neurology practitioner. I like the, the functional medicine aspects as opposed to the Western medicine for obvious reasons. So he's been a big part of my journey. And then in in terms of mentors. So when I was a the therapist, I had mentors that were great therapists. When I was a coach, I had some of the world's best coaches as mentors. So I've spent time in Phoenix doing time over there with Dan Paff, who's one of the world's greatest uh, track and field coaches and coached Donovan Bailey to gold in the 96 Olympics and still coaching Olympians and world champions. I've spent a lot of time with him and I brought him over to Australia and we did some coaching here. I had Irina Dovaskina, who's the world's most successful Paralympic coach. She was my coach when I was an athlete. She she was my colleague when I was a therapist, and then she was my mentor coach when I got into coaching. So in terms of being a coach there, I knew how to reach out to them. And then now on this new part of the journey, I'm looking for the different pieces of the puzzle to allow me to to help people become the best version of themselves. So who who are the breathing experts that I can reach out to? And that's how I came across Nam Baldwin. And funny enough, I you know, he was just someone that was recommended to me and I got him to work with me and my athletes because I thought he's a breathing expert, and I realised pretty quickly he's a mindset expert, his resiliency, his emotional intelligence, his strength and conditioning, his breathing, his everything. So he coaches Mick Fanning and Steph Gilmore, some of the world's best surfers. He works with a lot of the Red Bull High Performance athletes. I, I, another reason, another way, actually, you say how do you build your team? And to be honest, podcasts. Uh, I look at people on podcasts as my mentors. And part of the reason why I started one, I told you my deeper why, but also I was addicted to listening to podcasts for almost three years before I started my own because you, whatever you want to learn or know or be inspired by, you can tap into that podcast and take it on board. But it comes down to that thing of uh, it's not just knowledge. Knowledge isn't power. It's applied knowledge is power.
1: Right, right. I did, I did want to ask, you know, speaking of coaching and you are a coach, you've you know, done a lot of coaching of elite athletes, medal-wing athletes, but now you're moving more to people who aren't necessarily athletes least taking, taking the methods and the lessons that you've learned from, uh, you know, working with world champion athletes into, you know, out of that, that arena. What in your learning have you learned about natural talent and how far it can get you versus hard work and how far it can get you?
0: Yeah, great question. And my belief is that natural talent is awesome if it's actually utilized. And natural talent can get you very far, but it's got to be your choice that you want it to to take you far. And when you choose that you want to use that natural talent, you realize also that, okay, to actually enhance this natural talent – I actually need to do the hard work as well. But I've, so, been the best,
1: I've been the best football player ever. I'm, you know, made it to under twenties. I never had to train. What do you mean I've got to do drills? And well, that's a choice, right? It goes back to that choice
0: thing. So if that person wants to choose that, and that person doesn't do the drills, then that natural talent's probably going to serve them well at the pub when, in ten years' time. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I can't actually speak for that too much because I haven't experienced. Uh, A lot of that natural talent, that's just wasted themselves. I've experienced the opposite where in Paralympic sport, you have to be an elite athlete for most of the disciplines, especially in track and field where I was coaching. Mm. And a lot of athletes are working, they're doing the same amount of hours, the same life commitments, the same choices around their diet, their sleep, their non-drinking, their non-partying, their non-holidaying all to be the best athletes in the world. So that's their hard work day in, day out. So I've experienced that more than – I would have to rack my brain to see good – I actually know some of the guys I used to train with now I think about it, some good talent that just didn't want to work hard, that didn't actually go that far. And I guess the experience of being on the other side of that in the coaching and therapy world of working with people that work hard more often, it probably – I believe in you know the – Everything works in osmosis, so when you're around that environment more often, it makes you realize, well, gee, whatever it is I choose to do, whether it's me as a coach, me as a therapist, me as a podcaster, I've got to work hard to make
1: this work. And in your experience, you've seen hard work be the thing that sets people apart? To be honest,
0: uh, yes, and mindset. Yeah. So it all, it all comes down to the mindset. So you could have two people with the same natural talent, and working hard and who's going to come out more enhanced? Who's going to come out the better athlete or the better person, the better podcaster, the better TV host, whatever it is. It's the person that has done the most work around mindset because it's one thing to work hard physically or grind out and do a lot of hours in whatever it is you're doing and to have the natural talent. But if you haven't got the skills and the tools and the strategies and the habits in place around your mindset, then that's the weakest link because you'll get to a point, like if we go back to that example of two people being strongest and naturally talented, they're going to get to a point in an event or in their workplace or whatever it is where there's going to be some difficult challenges and some stresses and those that can utilize their, their powerful mindset they're the ones that are going to get through. They're the ones that are going to strive and thrive, sorry, beyond that.
1: And so when, you, when you're talking about mindset, you're talking, you're talking about that inbuilt, we talked about it earlier, that training of the response versus the reacting. The how am I going to respond to this? Is it, oh, my God, I've got to do one more set of sprints versus unreal, I get to do one more set of sprints?
0: Yeah that definitely comes a part of it and what's more important about the mindset is we under, when we learn and understand what is your ideal mindset so when you're at the top of your game whether it's sport and so I'd put it to you as a TV host you know you've got to be in a certain mindset in a certain zone in a certain energetic state to be especially when you do something live when you did when you do a lot of live stuff you need to yeah. be in that great energetic condition, you've got to set your mind for that experience. And that's what I help people understand is what is mindset? Let's break it down. Mindset, we can actually set your mind for the upcoming experience. So what is the ideal state that you need to be in for that moment? If we talk to people that are going into meetings and they know that it's going to get angry and heated, well, instead of allowing that to happen, what's the ideal mindset that you need to be in? Let's set that energetic condition and let's understand when you start to shift into that anger and that heated, that's not going to serve you. Let's bring it back to your ideal mindset. So we work in that perspective, regardless, like I said, regardless of whether it's athlete, TV host, corporate. Miners that I work with so understanding there's so many elements to the mindset and then all the emotional intelligence aspects come into it too because emotional awareness is the base level that we really need to be in tune with because when those emotions do arise one we need to be able to label them and two we need to understand where it's going to take us if we do actually attach to them. Because we have the choice, it goes back to choice again, yeah. we have the choice to either react or respond or attach to those emotions or the thoughts. I mean, you start to go down the thought dynamics pattern as well when all those thoughts raise within us and it's our choice yeah. to either attach to those thoughts or not. That is the deeper levels of mindset.
1: So, for example, if we are going with that, we're in that meeting and things are getting heated, things are getting fiery, people are arguing about you know the deal going this way or that way. I'm going to ask just to clarify. Uh, are you saying that... I'm so angry right now versus, this is interesting, this is making me angry. Exactly
0: right. Exactly right. right. And that's that whole thing of you're not angry, you're experiencing anger Uh, and understanding that when we can detach from we are not the emotion, that emotion has arisen within us. So it's that whole thing. And I I, actually, I'd ask you this. I work with a lot of people that – have experienced or are experiencing mental illness. And I know you're very open talking about your anxiety. So was part of your journey to help you shift to understand that you are not your anxiety, your anxiety had been a part of your
1: journey? Yes. Yeah. Uh, But for there are times when uh, before I had made that split uh, that it was Absolutely everything and all encompassing and utterly overwhelming. And when my brain wasn't so healthy, it was near impossible to have made that split. And in my experience, I'm sure it's not the same for everyone, but in my experience, um, it was only when I was on. (laughs) actually like the third version of a cocktail of medication that that split was able to start to happen more functionally more properly and then through constant reinforcing of that neural pathway was i able to observe the anxiety like it still happens it happened today that's fine uh but it's it's less overwhelming and destroying of my day it's more like a Oh, that's kind of interesting. My knee hurts for a little bit. You know, it's, oh, my knee's hurting. I'll just, you know, my, my knee wasn't hurting. I'm just trying to equate it to a physical symptom like, oh, this is this thing happening in my body right now versus, oh, fuck the world's ending. <laughs> well, and that's the thing too.
0: That's the difference that you said everyone is different and you said your brain wasn't healthy. So the things that I'm saying here, it's not necessarily that it will work for everyone and here, just do this and change your change your thoughts because it'll change the world or Change, you know, understanding that your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors are all linked. If we can't change our thoughts, and often we can't, especially yeah. in those states of high anxiety, high, low, deep levels of depression, or high yeah. stress, or whatever it might be, but can we change our actions and our behaviors? And can we change those and then know that that changes our energetic condition?
1: So just understanding it's all very dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, even in, even in the, the very, I I was, I was lucky though that I was unable, I was able to observe it when it was really dark, when I was going through the really, really grim parts of it. I was trying to meditate. Um, I was able to observe the thoughts, but I was unable to detach from them, but I was able to know enough to go, Oh, this is bad. Okay. I'm unable to see things. In a light that isn't just shrouded in doom, I need to call my doctor. <laughs> right? Versus, I mean, I'm, I, there's a, a friend of mine who always used to say the problem with crazy people is they don't know they're crazy. He said you're, you're lucky in that you had the insight to be able to notice that those thoughts were were there, and that that filter had descended down upon every single. Uh, sensory input into your body—your t- taste, smell, sight, hearing, everything—touch was being put through that filter of doom, and I was—I l- was so lucky, Robbo, that I could identify that because otherwise, everything would have felt real. And as far as I was concerned, all those things would have been actually happening. They weren't, but that's what it—that's what it would have been. So I was—I was really bloody lucky in in that moment. But but like I said, you know, it took. It took, uh, you know, meds, which is, you know, to a, for a physiotherapy, you know, analogy or, you know, uh, analogue would be, it'd be like having the knee brace on while you did leg raises to strengthen the muscles around it. So when the knee brace came off, you'd be fine. I was on meds for a long time. But what that did is it allowed me in that safe kind of physio gym environment, re-strengthen and strengthen, build, strengthen those pathways so that when I did and have now come off the meds that with practice now, I'm... It's much easier to bring those those thoughts around. Um, that was a long uh, response to your question. Neuroplasticity—it's amazing. Saved my life. Very lucky. <laughs> um, you and, uh, one thing I'm, I'm interested, and in, uh, you know, uh, we talked to, to use again. You know, I'm just trying to think of you know like a, a relatable analogy, whether it be you know the meeting that you're going to go into, or the event that you're going to head into, or. I don't know. So, for example, you got some challenge with your kid at school. You're a big, you're a big purveyor of like having absolutely intimate knowledge of the event you're going into. Why is that so important? What do I say to people is that I'll teach you how to
0: understand yourself better than ever before, and I'll challenge you to any question that you have, any challenge that you have on the external environment. We'll find the answer internally. Because too often we're looking for the answer on the outside and we're chasing. And when we're chasing something, it's, it's never within reach because we just keep chasing and chasing. And we have, it all goes back to our physiology and like we've talked about and the way that we can control things from the inside and understand all the processes that are happening there. So I'm a, yes, in answer to your question, a huge believer that. We know what the external environment is going to be. So when we do, sorry, whether it's yeah, taking your kid to school, into that meeting, preparing for the Paralympics, whatever it is. And we need to understand ourselves the best to understand how we can be the best version of ourselves in those situations. And then we choose to implement the tools to allow yeah. that to happen. So we choose to express gratitude and be gratitude when we know that we're going to step into a volatile environment Because that can help prevent us from reacting to that volatility. For example, we can – for athletes stepping out into the Olympics or the Paralympics or the Commonwealth Games that are happening at the moment when there's tens of thousands of screaming fans – they, know, they need to know that that's going to happen. And if you or I walked out there unprepared and well, all of a sudden, whoa, hey, everyone's yelling and screaming. Oh, we've yeah. lost focus and concentration. So that's an easy way for people to understand. Oh, yeah, I guess the athletes do really set their minds. They know what zone they need to be in. They yeah. know what energy to take with them. And there's lots of tools around triggers and anchoring uh, to take those emotional states with them into there. So that's why we need to look at. So I say, I look at So I come from high performance, and I said I'm a performance coach, but I look at our life as our performance. So let's look at what works in the high-pressure
1: situations when people have this mastered, and let's bring that into our everyday lives. Right, right. You mentioned uh, anchoring. I'd love it if you could just kind of uh, talk a bit to that for folks who haven't heard about that concept before.
0: So anchoring is when you – attach an emotion. So, when you can tap into an emotion or an energetic condition. So, for example, I use anchoring for myself with pride. I know pride actually is a really strong internal driver for me to be that best version in many different environments. And Pride is an anchor. What I'll do to anger pride is I've created a movement. So it can be a click of a fingers, it can be rubbing your thigh, it could be you know athletes jump up and down to trigger their energetic conditions or their emotions. For me, it's standing and throwing my shoulders back and my hands sort of flicking my hands out, and that links with pride. And what I've done to create that, and what we do and to teach people is, you pick an emotion that you want to experience. It might be happiness, joy, gratitude, pride, energy. And then you pick the, it might be the rubbing of the ear, the throwing the hands, the click of the fingers, and you experience and you feel that emotion and you really let that bubble up inside you and you take that really high, like an 8, 9, 10 out of 10 feeling of that emotion. And then you attach that physical element as well And you train that in a controlled environment. So it might be at the end of your meditation. It might be at home. uh, It might be at the office behind closed doors where you attach the emotion and the physical action. And then, so everything that we do, we should train in a controlled environment. So then I can use that. So if you go into that volatile environment or that meeting where everything gets heated and you know you need to come back to calm and confident and it might just be that you rub your hand on your thigh and that's your calm and confidence. And so it becomes a connection where your body, when you do that, you're anchoring calmness and confidence into that situation.
1: I love that you what you're describing. is almost like it's almost like Uh, A deliberate hijacking of our, like a trauma response, but in the reverse. So, for example, if something horrible happened to us once around, I don't know, when uh, we had a problem with a blender when we were a kid, right? And every time we turn on a blender, we have this anxiety reaction, this is uh, something that our bodies use to try and keep us safe but you're reversing that and you're going here's a positive thing, here's a thing we can anchor it to, here's a physical sensation that the mind can then refer it to and then over training over time, being able to recall that so rather than have that that kind of either a jolt of, of um, aversion, you have that <laughs> desired effect. That's really fascinating.
0: It's exactly right. But in actual fact, I'll challenge you and say that – so you said that you're hijacking or you're hacking your yeah. internal environment to do that. But in actual fact, why don't you think of that in the opposite and think whatever it was on our external environment, so whether it was that blender or whether it's the heated argument around us in the office, what, that's the maybe that's the hacking. That's the yeah. hacking of of our internal environment because there's things on the external environment that are hacking our internal environment. So in actual <laughs> fact, by this anchoring, what you're doing is you're preventing or you're reversing that hacking that's coming in from externally. And that's what I mean about allowing people to understand themselves better than ever before from yeah. internal because we have so much control internally that Completely changes our perception. It creates that paradigm shift of the world and the yeah. way that we experience our external environments.
1: Are we just? Uh, are we? Are we? Until we kind of start thinking about this stuff, Rob, are we just a bunch of you know learned habits and learned triggers, just repeating until death? <laughs>
0: Of course we are that's what that's what humans are best at animals yeah. are exactly the same they get into the habits so that's the whole thing that I teach people around what what habits do you need to develop to make that positive change regardless yeah. of what your habits are you're going to have many of them you're going to live by them and experience them so let's learn what the helpful habits are and implement more of them and
1: let's take away a few of those unhelpful habits yeah over over a career that's dealing with elite sport I mean, not everybody gets to stand on the podium. Uh, In fact, if the chances are you're not going to stand on the podium, quite high, actually, in your whole career, you may do it once if you're lucky. So over the time that you've been working in this field, what have you learned about failure, Brent?
0: I love that question. (laughs) And the reason I do is because I say, I like to say that, failure is only failure if you haven't learned from the experience so whilst an athlete might have a goal to be a paralympic or an olympic medalist and they don't make that podium in their career is that a failure to not achieve your goal what about everything else that they've learned on that journey how much better are they for their health their habits of choosing the right foods, of uh, prioritizing sleep, which is the best recovery that we can ever have, the connections that they make, the travel, the life experiences. So from the day that they set that goal to the day that they retire and they haven't achieved it, I don't believe that that's failure. If, If in essence that we continually fail, quote unquote fail in our lives, that's because we've We've made a choice and it hasn't worked out and then if we make that same choice again and it doesn't work out again, that same choice and we just keep going down that funnel, that's probably pushing closer to failure. But in terms of that sporting perspective, it's all along the journey. It's all in the life experience and was there choices that the athlete made along the journey that didn't actually align with their true values and their Their bigger goals and visions in terms of did they do the right rehab? Did they always make the right choice around food? Did they prioritize certain competitions and those kind of things? So, my view on failure, and I would it's it's hard to just throw a blanket over it but that's that whole thing around change your mindset if you think because often people think of failure and that's what will stop them from taking the step in that direction yeah. anyway. They think, oh, no, what if I fail and, and well, what is failure and well, what if you do, if that's failure to you, what have you learned before that, that mistake or before that challenge arises and are you a better version of yourself in that direction anyway? Uh,
1: yes. And I certainly hope that, you know, someone who, say, for example, I don't know, had they've gone through two quadrennial Olympic or Commonwealth cycles, so they've maybe had a nine-year or ten-year stab at it, right, and if they never stood on a podium externally, you know, someone will ask them at a dinner party, did you ever win a medal? No, I never won a medal. But internally, they'd be able to say, but you have no idea who I am now versus who I was when I started. I guess, is that what you're trying to say?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and then if each individual is different, but I think what you're getting at there is, too, that people get attached to judgment, so if people judge you as a failure because you haven't won a medal, then that's their perception. Uh If you judge yourself because you haven't won a medal, then you need to reflect on that journey
1: again, but yes, that's what I mean. Yeah, I love it, man. I love it. I could really talk to you a lot, Robbo, and I'd you know, hopefully love to have you back on the show because there's so much of what you do talk about uh, on your podcast that I'd love to dig a little a little deeper into. I'm going to have to get Nam on this show. I think me and Nam are going to have to have a chat. I think that's what's going oh, to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. I highly recommend that. But um, before we get going, if I could uh three things that I certainly got out of this conversation that I hope people might be able to take away. Um, you know, what you described as that really deliberate rhythmic breath in that moment to try and help yourself get from reacting to responding. That seemed to be like a, a very powerful technique that you described. Certainly, the gratitude list, we talked about that, that it's, you know, I talk about it every week, but, you know, it's just such a strong... Example of something so simple that can have such a profound physiological effect, also a mental effect, but. Also, the prioritizing of sleep, which can be tough when you've got a family, when everyone's gone to bed, when the only time you've got with your wife or or husband or or partner is in those kind of last few moments before you both pass out. That that, that is hard, but I think those three things is definitely what I'm going to try and do a whole lot more of this week.
0: (laughs) I don't have kids yet, but uh, from what I've heard, it is hard to prioritize sleep. But when you can, it is the most powerful, important recovery that human
1: beings can get. Oh, mate. Robbo, I'm so excited for the next phase of of what you're going to do with your life. I'm really grateful that you chose to share your story today, mate. Obviously, parts of your story are very difficult to recall, so I'm very grateful that you, you chose to do that with us today, man. I'm really grateful for your time. Thanks so much for being on the show, man.
0: And now that I know we're recording, I'll reciprocate that and say, Osho, I'm very <laughs> grateful for you having me on your podcast and, and allowing me to share part of my journey. And honestly, it's it, it, I'm very proud to be on here. Like I said, Pride is one of my anchors and I, enha- I aim to enhance and optimize my grandparents' legacy every day and this helps with that journey. So I can't thank you and all the listeners enough for allowing that part of my journey to, to be enhanced and to prosper. You got it, man. Soak up that Gold Coast Commonwealth Games vibe, mate. Thank you very much. I will. The lawn bowls are on just down the road, so I might and yeah. check it out. Gold for <laughs> Australia. All right. See you, Robbo. See you, legend.
1: That's Brett Robbo. You can track down more about him and his work and his excellent podcast, yourlifeofimpact.com. There you go, legends. I hope you enjoyed that
0: episode as much as I did connecting with the legend himself, Osher Ginsburg. And as I said at the beginning, Osha will be on my podcast coming up soon. And I think you'll all have now a little bit more of an insight into the intriguing and interesting conversation that I'll be having with Osha around his interesting and intriguing perception of the world. So make sure you check out Osha's podcast. As you all know, I'm addicted to listening to podcasts. And I highly recommend to other people when I come across good ones, I'm not saying that this is the only podcast you should listen to, not at all. So go and check it out. Go and subscribe to it. He's had some amazing guests on there and enjoy the journey that Osher takes you on with his guests. And if you want to hear more of anything that you heard today, and it's been more of a gratifying experience for me for being on Osher's podcast because... A few of his regular listeners have now come across and listening to Your Life of Impact and have joined us in the online mental strength training program and a part of our community. So I'm super grateful for that collaboration and that crossover. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it around with your friends, your family, anyone else who you feel like will get some value from this podcast. And as always, remember, this is your life journey, your life of impact